This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by The Wisdom of Hobbits, by me, Matthew J. DiStefano. In this hopeful yet at times poignant homage, I focus on everyone's favorite halfling friend, the Hobbit. A charming people, this Shire-based race has captivated, enthralled, and enchanted the hearts and minds of millions. And though they're not a religious society, I argue that spiritual truths, love, kindness, generosity, hope, and even compassion can be found within their familiar yet still relevant and didactic tales. So come and enter a world of adventure and intrigue. Whether it's your first foray into Middle-earth or the Shire is your second home, allow me to inspire you toward discovering your own inner hobbit. Available now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you get your fine, fine books. From Choir Publishing. The mind that was in Jesus, that mind is in me. Without me, life has no meaning. Why would God tell you what I'm thinking and tell you what I've said to my wife or my husband when you're not around? It's because I'm the pastor of the church and I need to know. This is the only place where you can see truth. Hey, heathens, you're listening to the Deadly Faith Podcast where religion and crime collide. I'm your host, Lacey. And I'm Lola. And this shit is violent. So welcome back to another episode, guys. I'm so excited to be here with you. Today, we actually announced officially on our social medias that we are doing this podcast. And we told you guys about it. And you guys are amazing. We already have almost 200 followers on Instagram because our show isn't available on all the like platforms quite yet. The company that we are working with, they're doing all of that. So we're waiting to hear back from them. But I was so excited to see that almost 200 of you jumped on this bandwagon to follow us and hear what we have to say. And you're not going to hear this for like a month and a half after we launch. So you're going to be like, wow, it's news fine, there. but they're going to binge it. They're going <laughs> to binge are. it and they'll hear it. They'll so hear it. so you should say thank you. We love you guys. Everyone that's here. And thanks for following me, my little yes. old hair page where I, I post heresy on my story most yeah. of the time. <laughs> <laughs> Heresy. Love it. Love it. Love it. Kisses. Yeah. So real quick, Lola, how's your week been? I didn't even ask you that before we started recording. Oh shit. Hold on. How was my what week what day is it? Today is Wednesday. The good the good youth group days of the week. Oh man. (laughs) Honestly, Wednesday nights traumatized me worse because there was so much sexual tension in the youth group. Right. Oh my gosh. I I don't know. I can't tell you what one sermon was besides probably don't have sex tell your marriage. (laughs) Yeah, because that one made you be like, oh, Uh sorry. (laughs) I just had a dirty thought. (laughs) I just had a dirty thought about about Timothy over there. <laughs> Timothy. <laughs> Timifer. Yeah. Um, so I'm really happy that on this Wednesday, I'm not at church. But yes. unless you consider this to be church. Hey. I Oh, I made, I crocheted a bag this week that is an no. orange. And I crocheted little leaves on top of it. No, you didn't. It's, it's not super like fancy or whatever. It's very basic. I want to see it. That's cute. I can't crochet. Well, I crochet little mushroom bags normally. Oh my gosh. That's freaking adorable. So like the bottom part is like the stem and then like the lid for it is the actual mushroom cap. Oh. They're pretty cute. I'm going to have to see these things. I make stuff out of polymer clay because all of this shit is so so heavy that we talk about it. I am not cool. (laughs) 
I, I'm just a girl with purple hair who people call me online a freak because I have purple hair. But these are the, my funnest things that I've made. And it's little like car charms, like for your rearview mirror. And they're little gemstone. It. And then I make little keychains. But that's all I've made so far. I want to make vaginas one day. You want to make vaginas? I do. I want to make vaginas. How so? Like you like add a clay. It, they kind of look like flowers, but you can tell by looking oh, at Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a yes. vagina. I want to make wall art that's a vagina just so that like your grandma walks into your house and they're like, oh, that's wonderful. But oh, maybe wow. doesn't quite realize that she's looking at a vagina. <laughs> yes, there is a painter and I forgot her name. Her name has left me. Someone will figure it out for me. Um, but she paints a lot of like nature Mm-hmm. flowerscape things and she very much centers the flowers to be vaginas and she's like super feminist I love it yeah but but she's like an older artist so this was extremely yeah. taboo like back in the day yeah oh my gosh yeah you have to figure out who that is because I want to know now yeah that's exciting I didn't do any arts and crafts this week but that's fine I, my husband today my husband actually met with um an employee that he might hire he runs Stop. his own business for those. I know for those that don't know, he runs his own painting business and he has for a couple of years and he's been a one man show and he has all five star reviews on Google and he has very much like he's booked out months and months. And so he's kind of like holding the company back. So he wants to hire a subcontractor to do some of the work. And so he met with this guy who it's his and him and his wife and talked about hiring him. And he came home and he's like, oh my God, I think this is going to work. So we're very excited, but also nervous because it's like a whole new step for the business and like where it goes. And yeah, you know, that's really exciting. Yeah, our our business will be the livelihood for another family. And that is Ugh. kind of terrifying. But isn't that so nice that you're able to give that opportunity to somebody else, you know? I know, I know. And we have we have high hopes for it. So that was that was my big news for the week. That was yeah. Damn, that's some big news. I just crocheted a fucking orange. <laughs> I didn't my, that was on my husband's work. That was not me. <laughs> well, I mean, when you're married, aren't you the same person? I kept my, I just kept my kids alive this week because they've been battling colds. And so... That's good enough. I'll yeah, take that. I'll we take survived. It. We survived. But unfortunately, James Matheny did not survive. And he is who we're talking about this week. So that was a nice little... Did you see that segue? Okay. Okay. Smooth. Let's jump into this. Now, before we get into this case, I'm going to give you guys a disclaimer and we're going to give this every week because we know there's going to be people in the comment section on our Instagram and our TikTok and everywhere else that's like, it's not all churches. We know Gladys. Calm down. We know it's not all churches. Yeah, Gladys. (laughs) I'm like the little kid in the background. I'm like the little brother that's like, yeah. What they said. What they said. (laughs) So... Disclaimer, the religious true crime cases we cover here on Deadly Faith are not a depiction of all affiliated religions, denominations, churches, or religious people. All right, now, trigger warning for today's case. It is a pretty graphic murder. There's dismemberment. There is uh, mentions of suicide and major depression. So if any of that is too rough for you guys, please come back for another episode and we will see you next time and just click out. Yeah. Go pet pet your kitty. Kitty cat. Not not the other one. Oh, no, that's fine. Do that too. Who cares? <laughs> well, actually, yeah, that's fine. I don't care what you do. Go enjoy yourself. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that. before we jump off the deep end, let's get into this. So 
On June 16th of 1987, just after midnight, the fire department was called to Emmanuel Church of Christ at 522 Woodland Street in Nashville, Tennessee. For those that don't know, I live in Tennessee. So I'm bringing it to my good old home state currently. I'm born and raised in Texas, but right now I'm currently a Tennessean. And for those of you who don't know, I grew up in the Church of Christ. You're okay. So this is Emmanuel, Emmanuel Church of Christ. So this I think is very different from the Church of Christ denomination. Maybe. Okay. Yeah. 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 Because the, the Emmanuel Church of Christ was actually founded by a woman. Ah, nice. Okay. Okay. So, so I think it's, I think it's a little bit different. Okay. Not as strict, but you know, so yeah, I I thought I made that connection in my head really quick. So that's good. That's good. So fire department has been called out. The church has been engulfed in flames and the firefighters immediately start trying to fight this fire, but it took them hours to get it under control. Afterwards, the investigators need to figure out why this fire was started. So they go inside to start their investigation. Now, as they started walking around the church, they see very clear signs that this fire was set intentionally. First off, the church reeked of gasoline and you could clearly see pour marks where like a substance had been poured on the ground, like in between the two rows of pews. So with it being an intentional fire, they now start wondering, okay, why? Why was this fire set and what was the motive? So the investigators continue searching the church for clues and they aren't finding much. That is until they go to the attic of this church. This is where they saw a huge pile of debris along with a large piece of carpet that had been rolled up. Now, in a crazy turn of like coincidences, or some of you might say fate if you're still like spiritual, there was a window in the attic and the firefighters, when they were fighting this fire, they shot the water through this window in the attic. And that big stream of water actually ended up landing on this pile of debris and rolled up carpet. So keeping this section pretty saturated and free of being burnt. So the cops thought this looked suspicious and or the fire investigators thought it looked suspicious. And so they started to take down the huge pile of debris and then started to unroll the carpet. No, I don't want to know. This is like that that bad movie where you're like, don't look in the closet. Don't look <laughs> don't. in the rolled up thing. Yeah. Oh, Walk God. Away. <laughs> Don't go up the stairs. Yes, this is this is one of those stupid moments. white people. Uh, so as they are unrolling this carpet, they discover the mutilated dead body of a man. He was 260 pounds and was missing his head and his right forearm just above the elbow. He had large patches of skin that were removed from around his shoulders, and he had been undressed all the way down to his underwear except for a belt with a T on it, like the T was on the buckle that was around his waist. Now, there's no pants. It's just underwear, this belt, a missing head, a missing forearm, and missing skin on the shoulders. I have so many questions. Why? Why? Can you fucking imagine being the person that just like unrolls the carpet and this is what you fucking see? Why? Uh, I just... You will never have another good dream for the rest of your life, ever. No, no. The confusion, the terror, the disturbing mm. nature. Mm-hmm. Just Now, I will say down. we do get a lot of answers. Okay. But there are a few things we don't get answers to. So it's a little frustrating. 
but we'll get to that. Is any of the debris necessarily important or is it just really the body inside? Well, beside the body and the pile of debris, they ended up finding two cans of gasoline. So they realized that, okay, it was gasoline, which it smelled of gasoline. So that was like their confirmation, like, yes, this gasoline was used to start the fire. Now their assumption was the debris was on top of the body, uh, like the rolled up carpet, which I do have a few pictures of this. You cannot see the body. And I will post those mm. to Instagram if you want to go and look. Um, but they think that the wood was put on top of the rolled up carpet to help it burn faster mm, and yeah. maybe get to the body and destroy the the body itself. Good Lord. Mm-hmm. So the pastor of this church was a man named John David Terry. I'm going to be referring to him as Brother Terry throughout the rest of this case, okay? Brother. Sorry. Brother Terry. <laughs> Brother Terry. So the investigators went to his wife and asked if she knew anything about the belt with a T on it. And she lost it. She became absolutely frantic and come to find out she had given her husband Terry that belt the year before for Father's Day. Woo, not looking good. No, the police are like, okay, they're making the connection that that body is most likely Brother Terry. And so she tells the police that the last time she saw him, he was actually supposed to be going on a fishing trip with his friend, 32-year-old James Metheny. Well, James Metheny now instantly becomes the main person of interest, but he also himself is nowhere to be found. They can't find him anywhere and they cannot find Brother Terry. So James's ex-wife was a woman named Teresa. She actually went to James's apartment and he wasn't there, but she said nothing looked out of place. Everything seemed just like perfectly normal, like it hadn't been mm-hmm. robbed or anything was weird. It just, he just wasn't there. So as they're trying to find James, they are also interviewing many members of the church and the community and not one person could think of anyone who had any negative thing to say about Brother Terry. They absolutely loved him. He was the best pastor that they could imagine having. And people were grateful that he was their pastor. He was described as kind, passionate, loving, and even musically talented, a man of God who really focused on the people of his congregation is what really Hmm. people would say. Like he actually went out of his way to pour into the lives of his congregation. So the whole congregation and community that just even knew Brother Terry was very confused on like why this would have happened and who would have had it out for him to not only murder him, but in such a brutal way. So the body is Terry's. The the body is Terry's. The police are saying the body is Terry's. Oh, yeah. so sorry, Terry. On the other hand, the police find out that James Metheny, the 32-year-old friend, was a man that had been struggling with alcoholism and had been down on his luck for many months. Now, it had gotten so bad, his alcoholism, that his wife, Teresa, had taken her four-year-old son and left. And she was like, you need to get your shit together. Mm. Now, after a few months of James's wife being God, God, gone. Oh, yeah. She's good. No, she's God. <laughs> she's still no, God. We love Teresa. That wasn't wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so after she's been gone for a few months, James had hit rock bottom and he actually reached out to Teresa and asked her to reach out to her pastor. Teresa was a member of Emmanuel Church of Christ. And Teresa is very excited. And so she's like, of course, I'll reach out to my pastor, Brother Terry, and see if he'll help you, you know, get your life back on track. So she immediately calls Brother Terry and tells him what's going on and asks if he'd be willing to help him, her ex-husband. And he actually said, quote, oh, I've been thinking about him. Of course, I'll go see him, end quote. 
So he's actually excited to go and Aww. meet James Nathaney and like be, a, you know, a helpmate to pull him out of this dark time in his life and get his life back on track. So Terry took in James and helped him get back on his feet. He hired him as the second handyman at the church just three months prior to the death. He counseled him. He baptized him and even got him into housing where he paid six weeks of James's rent for him. Now, James's ex-wife had told police... Okay, well, if, if James is the murderer, this is really hurtful. Yeah. No, thank you. Well, no, thank James's you. ex-wife had told police that he loved Brother Terry. He was like a father figure to him and he cherished their relationship. So she's like, there's no way that he murdered Brother Terry. Like, there's no way he did this. So police are baffled as to what could have happened for him to turn on his friend and murder him. And they still couldn't find James Methane. They couldn't find him. So they put out an APB on him. For those that don't know, an APB is an all points bulletin. I even had to Google this because I was like, I know no, it's I've heard an that before. Ask Pam Beasley. <laughs> so every time I hear that, I, I can't I can't unhear that from the office. Oh my god, the office. Okay. I have never watched the office. Yeah. She's like she tells Jim to put out an APB about... I had something to do with... She's, no, Finding Michael, something like that. <laughs> and she's like, just put out an APB or otherwise known as an Ask Pam Beasley. And then she's so satisfied with her response. She just kind of like grins at him and he's like, oh you're done. Oh my gosh. I have had so many <laughs> friends try to get me to watch The Office and I couldn't get past season one. Everyone's like, you have to okay. get past season one. Season one's not the greatest. Just skip season one. You really don't need I, it that much. That, uh, that I should. I should. I should. I, I haven't gotten into it. Two and on. Okay. I cry every time. Anyway. I'll try. I'll try. Back to the story. Back to the back story. To, back to the story. So an all points bulletin, an APB, it's basically a way of broadcasting news from one police station to all the other surrounding you know, police stations in your area. So they put out an APB on James Matheny. Well, on Tuesday night, they find Brother Terry's car and it had been abandoned just 250 feet away from Matheny's home. So they search the car and in the car, they find two beer bottles, some of Brother Terry's identification cards and a towel covered in blood that had been pushed underneath the front seat of the car. Oh, this is not good. James Matheny goes from person of interest to prime suspect in this moment. So he is oh, jumping yeah. up that list on the police's radar very quickly. Now, as they are canvassing the area around the church and interviewing people, asking questions and all that, they end up finding someone who said that they had seen a motorcycle with its lights on parked at the back of the church the night that the church caught fire. So the police now decide to try to find somebody who went to the church who owned a motorcycle, or maybe they had a family member who owned a motorcycle. They're just trying to make some kind of connection to somebody in the church with a motorcycle. But before they could follow this lead, they got some shocking information from the medical examiner. Oh, God. As she was doing the autopsy on the body, she found some surgical scars that didn't match the medical records of what? Brother Terry. Oh, no. Meaning that this is not the body of Brother Terry. What? So the police decide to go speak with James Matheny's family and told them what they had found out from the medical examiner. Now, the James Matheny's family give the police James's uh, medical records and his medical history. 
And then the authorities took his records and his x-rays and compared them to the body and the x-rays that the metal examiner had taken. And it was confirmed that the body was that of James Nathaney. <gasps> so James Nathaney has gone from person of interest to prime suspect to now victim of the case. I'm sorry. Did did they... Well, I mean, I know he was headless. I get yeah. that. but Headless and one armless. You can still identify a person's body. Like, I, I don't know. I assume if it's your spouse's body, you'd kind of be able to tell. Did they not ask her to maybe... I don't... I think it was too gruesome and they didn't ask her to okay. identify the body because it's literally headless. So like... What am I going to do? Show you his one hand or his one foot? Like, can you identify this foot? <laughs> that also, like, I'm not sure if it had been slightly charred. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And I guess because the belt was there. So they were like, okay, it is Brother Terry's belt. So they took that as the identification of like, mm-hmm. they're assuming the body is that of Brother Terry's. But it's not. It is James Matheny's body. Yeah, I can see where that tracks. I just wonder, like... Also, we're in the 80s. We're in the yeah, 80s. we are in the 80s. I feel like I would be able to tell if you showed me my fiance's torso. If you showed me my husband's foot, I could tell you a thousand percent that's his foot. Oh, yeah. No, it's... Yeah. Show me the foot. Show me the knee. The kneecap. Yeah. I could tell. <laughs> right? I don't think they asked her to identify. I think they literally just went off the belt was his. So they're like, okay, it's Brother Terry's. It's James. God. It's, it's James. James. James is dead. So police went to interrogate Brenda, uh, Brother Terry's wife, because now they're like, well, his body is not his. So where is he? Now, of course, she's relieved that it's not her husband. But at the same time, she's also confused. Where the fuck is he if he's not the one that's dead? What happened? So many of people in this town thought that someone broke in, killed James, and then kidnapped Brother Terry. Many, 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 many rumors spread that it was some kind of like occult activity. It's a conspiracy. I will tell you that there are still people in this town that still believe this theory. Even after all the evidence came forward. Yes, they are still believing that it was occult related. Well. And it's like, are you serious? Okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And I have a theory on that, but I'll get into it at the end. Yay. The police end up getting an anonymous tip that there is a relevant piece of evidence in a specific storage unit that they need to go get in the next two to three hours. Still to this day, at least from like the research that I did, we have no idea who sent in this tip. They just called the police and said, there's a storage unit and there's a piece of information and relevant evidence that you need to go get. So of course, they're running on any lead they have because it's not much at this moment. Well, whose storage unit was it? Hold on. You're, you're jumping the gun, so I don't want to give it away yet. Never mind. Ignore okay. me. Go on. <laughs> go on. So, so they go to the storage unit immediately and they find a motorcycle. And so they're like, okay, this is most likely the motorcycle that was at the back of the church that night of the fire. So they decide to track the motorcycle back like the VIN number and all that and try to see who it belongs to. So they end up tracking it back to a dealership where it was sold. So they go to the dealership and they find out that it was sold to a man named Jerry Milan. So they search the name, Jerry Milan, trying to find out who this man is and they come up with nothing. So then they have to do a deeper search into Jerry Milan and they're searching and searching and searching and they finally get a hit. But this hit made 
the entire case 10 times more confusing because Jerry Malam had died at seven years old. I'm sorry. Yes, dead. Seven years old. He had died in a drowning accident when he went out fishing. Holy moly. How did a seven-year-old buy a motorcycle? The 80s were wild. There was just cocaine everywhere. I don't know what's happening. <laughs> cocaine. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> someone um, was using this kid's identity. And the police had, have said, and I, I've done another case about um, a stolen identity back in the 80s. And it's actually really, really fucking easy back in the 80s to steal someone's identity because all you needed was their birth certificate. And in order to get the birth certificate, all you had to know was their date of birth and their name. That was fucking it. Wow. You just write a, write a piece of paper and say, I am Joe Schmo, and I was born on <laughs> day, week, and month, whatever, or day, month, and year. I want my birth certificate. And they'd be like, cool. Where do I send it? It's like, oh my God. Fuck? It was super easy. Not only that, usually when you would get like your social security back in like those days, they didn't give you a social security when you were born. You got your social security uh, number whenever you like actually started working and getting jobs. So people would, it would oh, be wow. really easy for them to get a birth certificate, especially if they were like in their 20s, early 20s. They could get a birth certificate and then they could apply for a social security number under this birth certificate of a dead child and they would be given a new social security. So it was like a very clean identity. And especially if the person was born in one state and died in another, there was no cross-referencing birth certificates and death certificates. And so it was really easy if you knew what you were doing. Not really easy, but you still had to do some research, but you know. Wow. A lot easier than it is today. Crime was so easy back in the day. It really was. God. It really was, especially when identity theft shit. So just after they make this discovery, they get notified by the local intelligence department that Brother Terry had been located. He was at, at the Vanderbilt Hospital in Nashville, Tennessee. Oh. Just popped up there. Okay. That's great. Oh, yeah. Why? So the detectives, of course, are curious. And so they go straight to the hospital because they're like, we need to talk to you because um, we found a dead man, headless in your church. So kind of need to have a little trap. So they show up to the hospital and straight away, they see, when they finally see uh, Brother Terry, they were shocked. They said they almost didn't recognize him because he had completely changed his uh, appearance. He used to wear very like uh, khaki pants and stuff like that. Um, and right now he was wearing shorts. He also used to wear a toupee, wasn't wearing a toupee. Uh, he was completely bald. He had like shaved his head completely. He even trimmed his eyebrows. He was sporting a fake tan and he was covered in bruises. I'm imagining Walter White. <laughs> okay. Like kind of, kind of. I With um, like Hoochie Mama 80s man <laughs> shorts, you know? <laughs> Look up. Look up his picture. So John John David Terry. Look up John David Terry, Emmanuel Church of Christ. And look up his picture. And then you'll see. Because he like kind of a little Walter White going on, but like not stick thin. He was a little more on the stocky side. Yeah. Yeah, see what I'm talking about? You know, there are a lot of pastors with this same name. (laughs) I'm not shocked. (laughs) And with the same hairstyle. It's just all white pastors look the same. Except except Jason. Except Jason. He always kept his hair. That was one thing I really, I can't, I can credit Jason on that the ministry didn't take away his hair. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> that shit's stressful. Whoa. I mean, it's always a conscious decision, I feel, that when you enter ministry as a white man, at a certain point, you have to shave your head because you're going yeah. to start losing it. Yeah. The stress. I don't, I don't, I don't blame him. Maybe. It's, it's all it's, the lying. Anyway. It's a- <laughs> Whoops. She said what she said. Who said that? Who is that? I don't know. <laughs> uh, okay, so the, the detectives find Brother Terry. He's completely changed his identity or his, you know, appearance, basically. And they try to speak to him. They're like, hey, bud, <laughs> want to talk? But Terry, Brother Terry's like, I can't talk to you. And the de- detectives are like, why? Why can't you talk to us? And he's like, my lawyer told me not to. Oh. Okay. We have a okay. lawyer on standby. So due to the suspicious nature of him disappearing and then showing up in the hospital and all of the other evidence, the police are granted a search warrant for Brother Terry's home. So in his home, they end up finding $10,000 in the top dresser drawer in his room, and they find three out of the four guns that are registered to him. But he is missing a thirty-eight caliber gun. Now, I am not exactly sure on the exact timelines of this, but I am assuming that they didn't get the search warrant until after Brother Terry was released from the hospital and sent home because why would the $10,000 be in his top drawer and not with him? So that's what I'm going to assume. He got released from the hospital, sent home, and then they did the search warrant on his house. So they try to confront Terry about the missing gun, but he says he just got rid of it. I just, oh, I just got rid of it. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. A man just getting rid of his gun. All right. I you know me. totally buy that. Sure. So with his lawyer's permission, though, he actually confesses to killing James Nathaney. But at first, he is claiming that it's self-defense. Apparently, he says, they had gone to the church in preparation for the fishing trip that him and James Nathaniel were going to take. But while they were in the attic, Brother Terry made a comment about Nathaniel's drinking. And this comment enraged Nathaniel. And so he started to attack Terry with a two by four. And Terry had to kill him in self-defense. Oh, go ahead and blame it (laughs) on someone's vice. That's cheap. That's so fucking cheap to like use someone's disease against them. Well, and I just am like, dear, did you really think that was going to work? Because like... Self-defense, his fucking head's gone, you idiot sandwich. Exactly. (laughs) I had to do it in self-defense and then I cut his head off in self-defense. And then his arm had to come with me and then the, the skin on the shoulders looked good. He just... It said, gotta go. Like, really? I don't get it. Come on. Come on. It doesn't track for me. The police are thinking the same thing. They're like, ah, we're a little suspicious because that's not tracking. And they're not believing his story. But on the other hand, they can't find a motive. They're like, what what made you snap? What happened here? And so they're still investigating and they end up finding uh, some anomalies within the church finances. And they find out that Brother Terry had been embezzling large sums of money from the church for years. So Why do you think his hair's gone? It's the money. (laughs) It's the lies. You were right. It's the lies. So the investigators take all this information and present it to a grand jury. So they have his confession. I'm using air quotes, his confession, right? They have the fact that he's embezzling, embezzling large sums. He's missing a gun. And he, you know, just disappeared and then popped back up, right? 
So they take it to a grand jury and within just a few hours, they were granted a warrant for uh, Brother Terry's arrest. So as this information came out, the community and congregation were shocked, to say the least. Many didn't believe it. They're like, there's no way. There's no way he did this. Because remember, he is a beloved pastor in this area. People had not one iota of things to say about him that were negative. Not one. And this is coming from people that were like not even a part of the congregation. Everybody loved Brother Terry. So they're like, this is absolutely unequivocally not the truth. Something else happened. Well, he made a good name for himself, not only in the church and the community. I mean, if he was pouring himself out in such selfless ways, you know, and making himself so available, like, I don't think I would say anything bad about him. No. I mean. He, he He was a husband and he was a father. He had two kids. This whole thing. Oh, yeah. Did you two, mention that before? Because I was going to ask. I did, did not. He have kids? I okay. did not mention that before. No, he had two kids, though. Yes. So the strongest opinion, though, from the community was that it had to be occult related. Like I said earlier, they're still, they're hanging on tight because no way a man of God could do like murder somebody, but like not like murder somebody this. Not like this. Sadistically. Like what? So also remember, this is the 80s, so satanic panic. And so it was really easy for people to be like, satanic panic, what? You're worshiping the devil. You know, it has to be a cult related. I have never heard of satanic panic. What the fuck? You have never heard of satanic panic? No. No. Oh my gosh, guys, how? Okay, I don't know that we've ever said this on the show, but like Lola keeps me young, guys, because she is 24, 25. I'm 25, yeah. 25, <laughs> and I am 32, about to be 33, right? Yeah, to, to, yep, I'm about to be 33. So Lola keeps me young. Lola, you have never heard of Satanic Panic? I I mean, like, I, I understand that like, there were a lot of occult type cases and stuff that were like happening. Oh, no, no, no. Oh my gosh. Okay, you guys have heard it here. I had a totally different case picked out for next time that I was going to cover. It's too late. She's going a different that. route. <laughs> I, I am going to give Lola a rundown of satanic panic because I it has it. so many ties to crime and to Christianity specifically and just religion altogether. <gasps> Don't look into satanic panic. I want to be the one to tell you I'm all not. about this. I feel like if I Google it, I'll get something really weird to come up. So you are going to you're going to get so much stuff. I you say I, that I keep you young. You're you're wearing makeshift cat ears <laughs> out of pipe cleaners. Okay, no one can see you but me. And we, I don't think we mentioned this, but she said that, okay, she's wearing her headphones. She got some new headphones and she got some purple pipe cleaners and she was sitting in her daughter's room like five minutes before recording and just kind of like makeshift, put them on to okay, her but I have headphones. to tell, okay, we're going to take a little segue here. I have to tell you the backstory. So I have been using up until now my kids' <laughs> headphones to record. And by the end of it, my ears are screaming at me because they are the tiniest little things over my ears. And last week we were having all the technical difficulties. So I was like, maybe it's my headphones. Let me go grab another pair of my kids' headphones. So I went and grabbed another pair, which I tried to grab one of their newer ones, which are cat ear headphones. And so I tried using those and Lola's laughing the entire time. So then when I texted her and said, I got new headphones, she was like, do they have cat ears on them? I was like, no, but I have uh, construction paper and glue. So then I was like, I have to put cat ears on them before I show up today. I didn't believe her. And that was my mistake. (laughs) My mistake. 
did. And then I just left them on. So we're, we're supporting the cat ears, you know, and we might do that for a while. Honestly, they really, they go well. See, the cat ears for the other ones and these go so well with your hair. I think it's a oh, disservice see, for you to ever be without colorful cat ears. Uh, I know. So. I think I always have to. Maybe each week it'll just be a different color. You know, show up Perfect. With. I don't know. This is a movement I can get behind. There we go. <laughs> okay, back to the case. A satanic yes. panic. Okay, so okay. you guys heard it here. We are going to go over that the next time I present because, wow, Lola, are you in for a trip? I know. Okay. I'm ready. So the church during this time is very split. Mm-hmm. And even the bishop of the church comes out with a statement saying that as a church, they're going to stand with Brother Terry and believe that he is innocent until proven guilty. But he does say that they want the truth even if the truth is that Brother Terry was the murderer. So I was like, okay, I have to give you props for that because a lot of churches would be like, there's no way. Um, But he was like... Yeah, that's really hard to do, but... He stood with like, we know this man and like this does not equate to the man that we know. So we're going to stand with him and he's proclaiming to be innocent and we are going to stand and believe that he is innocent until proven guilty, but we want the truth. So if that means he's the murderer, then so be it. So... I'm going to give him kudos for saying that. There's not a lot of churches do that. That's honorable. Yeah. Yeah, I will. I will give him that. So let's talk about John David Terry, Brother Terry, um, and who he was as a person. Now, he grew up in the Emmanuel churches from the time he was pretty little. And at the time of his crime, he was the associate bishop overseer of the Emmanuel Churches of Christ. He was also the pastor of one of their locations. They had a handful of different locations. And he was a husband and a father to, oh, I was wrong, three sons. I thought he had two. He has three sons at this moment. Also, like I said earlier, he was uh, beloved by his congregation and many people within the town. He was attentive to his members. He helped when people needed guidance and discipleship. Many people felt blessed that he was their pastor. So now we're going to get into the timeline of events that lead up to the murder of James Matheny and the events following. So that's kind of all I really know about Brother Terry quickly. Like, I don't know a whole lot about his childhood, uh, but that's, that's all I've got for you, unfortunately. Do you know anything about his marriage? is good. It was fine. Nothing, oh. like no abuse. No, he wasn't like a physically abusive domestic violence. Like none of that. Like it was just a typical marriage. Love it. Missionary style. Yeah. Heard that. Yeah. Yes, very much. Very, very <laughs> vanilla, I'm sure. Very vanilla. I, I saw my opportunity and I fucking took it. <laughs> I took it. So in 1983, his mother died. And many people have said that she was his only confidant. So shortly after her death is when Brother Terry started to really feel overwhelmed by life and he started to feel like he had failed as a person. So he tried to shake things up. He kind of felt like he hadn't gotten to the point in life where he felt like he should have gotten. So he decides, maybe I need to shake things up. And he becomes a part-time salesman selling aluminum siding. Not sure how he thought that that was going to shake things up, but it was a try, but of course, it was a failure. It did not help him in any way. It was the 80s. The most exciting thing was cocaine and vinyl siding. Yeah, <laughs> right. Or aluminum siding. <laughs> aluminum siding, right. <laughs> Very much so. Uh, so 1984, uh, the year after, he started, this is when he started misappropriating funds at the church. Now, he was so depressed with his life and where he was that it made him spiral pretty hard. And at some points, he even considered uh, taking his own life and committing suicide. So he actually decided against this because one day a new idea fell into his lap. 
in 1987. So we're going to jump ahead a few more years. Mind you, he'd been misappropriating funds since 1984. And now we're in 1987. So there, he'd been misappropriating funds for a while. Now, in 1987, one day while he is reading the magazine Soldier of Fortune, he sees an ad that says how to get lost or like how to disappear. And it's advertising a book. And this book teaches you how to literally create a whole new identity and run away. Knowledge is dangerous. Knowledge is power. I know. Well, he is excited. He's like, that is what I need. I need to just start over and disappear. So he ordered the book and a few weeks later, it shows up and he starts reading it and he starts learning how to change his identity. Now, Brother Terry took $5,000 from the church to buy a motorcycle and then $10,000 to keep in cash. And that was what he was going to use to start a new life. Now, it's the 80s, so $10,000 probably is like, I don't know, 40, 50 grand now. But still, like, that's not much to start an entirely new life. Like, where, like, how far did you think you were going to get with 10 grand, even in the 80s? That's what? Why is that all he took? That's, I still, I see, I have questions still. I still do. Maybe he had other plans. Like, I don't know if he had like a connection somewhere else where like they'd be able to set him up with some stuff. I don't know. I don't know. We don't know. We don't know. So at first, he tried to assume the identity of a dead childhood friend, but was unable to get documents. So he searched the obituaries at the local library, and that's when he discovered the death of the seven-year-old boy who had drowned in 1951. So his name, of course, Jerry Malam. They had similar birth dates, so I think it was just easier for him to remember the birth dates, and so that's why he chose Jerry, and he was similar in um, age to him. Jerry, Terry, Jerry, Jerry, Terry. Yes, Jerry, Terry, and James. I... I got them confused so many times. Hmm. So knowing just the boy's name and his date of birth, he was able to get the birth certificate and he was able to forge a baptismal certificate. So with those two documents, he was able to get a driver's license, a social security number, fictitious mailing address, and the title to the purchased motorcycle, all in the name of Jerry Malam. So Pastor Terry's plan was to stage some kind of robbery hoax. And then he was going to have James Metheny be the one that would come in and find blood or the evidence of the robbery attempt and then like call it in. Then he'd be able to run away and they would just be like, oh, he was kidnapped or something. How does this go wrong? This sounds like a fine plan. I mean, (sighs) don't leave your kids and wife (laughs) to go off the deep end. Like get some help. But like, I don't understand how this turns violent. So, okay, but we find out later on at the trial that Terry testifies to thinking about killing Nathaney many times prior to this day. So in my opinion, he had this plan to kill Nathaney from day one, but he was trying to garner just like sympathy from everybody and be like, um, hey, went wrong. I don't know what happened. I didn't mean to kill him. What you got against Nathaney? He sounded fine. That Exactly. Why? That was my question. I even have it in my notes, but here's my question. Why? Why didn't he just disappear? He didn't have to kill somebody. Just run the fuck away. You have a whole new identity. Why did you have to go through an entire murder? And we don't know. That is one of the things we do not have an answer to. He never answered it or he never like... No, no. Like there's rumors that there was like some kind of uh, life insurance payout that could he could have, his family could have gotten. So I'm like, okay, were you trying to just make sure your wife and family had a payout? 
Like I could see that being a reason. Like yeah. at least his, yeah. he's running away and he feels guilty about running away. So maybe he was leaving the money to, he killed the James so that there would be a body so that he, his wife and kids could have the insurance payout. But he never confirms that. Is he, is, I, so maybe we don't know this, but did both the pastor and James, did, did they both have like a similar body type? Yeah, they did. Okay. They were both okay. like bigger set, tall, taller, like around the same height. Yeah, they were pretty similar in body shape. Okay. Well, th- that definitely makes sense with an insurance payout. Because y- you got to know that she's probably, I mean, it's the 80s, obviously. You got a lot of working women. But at the same time, you don't make shit next to a man. Exactly. Well, and she's a stay-at-home mom within a Christian home, you know? So it's like... I didn't know if she was working or, or stay-at-home, so yeah. I don't think so. I don't think I ever saw that she was or wasn't, but I'm going to assume that she wasn't because she was a mom of three boys in a Christian household. So, you know, I'm assuming, but I don't know. And we never get answers to this. And this is what's frustrating because I'm like, I just want to know why. Like, why did you kill him? I wonder how James' family feels. They feel the same way. His ex-wife was like, I just want to know why and we'll never know why. Isn't it crazy? I mean, just the the manner, it makes sense with like missing a limb, you know, yeah. like fingerprints. Oh. It makes sense with no head, but... But 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 wait, he only took one hand. He didn't take both. I was going to ask, was it both? Yeah, I know. It was just one. Now I'm going to tell you what he used that hand for. Hold on. Okay. Oh, God. But wait, there's more. (laughs) There's more. There's more. There's more. So on the day of the murder, June 15th, 1987, they were supposed to go on a fishing trip for many days. So Brother Terry picked up Methaney at his apartment and they drove to the church. Now, Brother Terry gives Methaney the keys to his car and his credit card. And he tells him, go get gas for the car and then come back. Brother Terry says he stayed at the church and he answered phone calls and like did returning phone calls or whatever for about 30 minutes. Well, James was gone. After James Methaney gets back, he hears something in the attic. And so he goes to investigate and he sees that the stairs to the attic had been lowered. So he climbs up and he saw Methaney up there. He then goes over to a bag he had stashed up in the attic three weeks prior and pulls out his 38 caliber pistol and shoots Methaney in the back of the head, killing him instantly. Now, I'm not sure I believe this. And even at the trial, the prosecution argued that the series of events were most likely different because one, Brother Terry was covered in bruises when they found him at the hospital. Two, you didn't just like go to investigate and walk up the attic stairs because you had a freaking gun stashed up there from three weeks prior. That's so convenient. Yeah, Yeah, that's too convenient. In my opinion, and in the opinion of the prosecutors, he most likely lured Metheny up into the attic by telling him that, hey, there's some work I want you to do up here, you know, because he's the, remember, he's the second maintenance man for the church. So I'm sure he was like, hey, let me show you, like, when we get back from our trip, this is the kind of the work I want you to do in the attic. And so he sends him up into the attic and follows behind him and then shoots him in the back of the head. But also that doesn't explain the bruises, but I don't know if there was a kerfuffle or or what, but I don't believe the series of events that he says went down. Yeah, it would make sense to me that it was probably like a fist fight kind of thing. Yeah, with me covered in bruises, I just, I'm like, nah, I don't really believe the way you say this went down. I feel like too, now, what if he started a fight with him just so that he could pull the gun 
And in case it came back, he could be like, well, it was self-defense. He like, he started in at me. Uh, honestly, your, your guess is as good as mine. Because honestly, I'm like, dude, we already know you cut his head off, cut his arm off and cut skin off of him. So like, why it can't get skin? much worse. It can't get, I'll get to that. Uh, oh, it, it can't get much worse. So like, why don't you just like give us the whole facts? Like, I don't, I don't understand why he didn't do that. Now, Brother Terry denies this theory and he says he was afraid Matheny would reveal his escape plot. So it's like, okay, so was Matheny in on it or was he supposed to stumble upon some evidence that was a robbery gone wrong? So you like, see what I mean? Like there's so much stuff that's contradictory and yeah. he confesses in his testimony at trial that he had considered killing Matheny multiple times. So it's like, dude, mm. like, all of this is contradictory. Backpedaling. Yeah, definitely. So, but we do know after he shoots Matheny in the back of the head, he cuts off his head and his right forearm. Then he undresses the victim down to his underwear and puts his own belt onto the body. He takes Matheny's clothes and puts it in one sack. And then he puts the body parts he removed in another sack. <gasps> now, Brother Terry leaves Throwing the body in the attic. Mm -hmm. He leaves the body in the attic and he drives off in his car. He first dumps the bag of clothes, the hacksaw, and knife he used to dismember the body into a dumpster. Then he goes to a store and purchases two five-gallon gas cans and fills them with gas. Next, he drives to the mini warehouse where his motorcycle was hidden and he and leaves the body parts there and then drives back to the church to drop off the gasoline cans. Okay, so it goes to his storage unit to just drop off the body parts and then drives to the church, drops off the gasoline, okay? After that, he drives to the apartment where Matheny was staying and he parks his car a few streets away. But before abandoning the car, he leaves inside a beer bottle, a towel smeared with his own blood that he had withdrawn the night before. What? This was planned out. Like you were so... You had planned to murder him. This screams premeditated. Yeah. Yes. There's no what? way. No ah. fucking way. So he also leaves some of his credit cards and Matheny's tackle box rod and reel. Not only that, but he took the arm he cut off from Matheny and he used it to put his fingerprints on the beer bottle mm -mm. and the credit cards. Mm. He was That's, like 1,000% mm -mm. framing Matheny. So... He then walks to James's apartment and he leaves his wallet in the front room. He calls a taxi and the taxi takes him back to the warehouse. In the warehouse, he gets his motorcycle and the bag of body parts and he drives to Kentucky Lake, which I know it's called Kentucky Lake, but it's in Tennessee. And <laughs> he rents a boat. He takes uh. the boat out onto the water. He tied a weight to some sort of the, the, some sort of weight to the bag of body parts and he drops it into the water. He then leaves Kentucky Lake and returns to the church right after dark when he then cuts off the tattoos that he had forgotten oh. that were on his shoulders. So that is where he cuts off the skin around James Matheny's shoulders and he flushes them down the toilet. I'm throwing up. I'm literally throwing up. Who? I don't understand how somebody can do... I don't understand how you can so, kill somebody, but I also I don't... I actually like, have a simpler <laughs> plan. I have a simpler plan. That would have saved you a lot of money. Here's the thing. I agree. Here's the thing. You literally could have paid him a sum of money if he was figuring out your plan to disappear and be like, hey, yo, here's here's two grand. Can you just like not, you know? Can you just right. not? And then take your eight grand and cut your losses, man. If that was your, yeah. your whole plan, I'm doing so many air quotes right now. Obviously, it was premeditated. That was not the scenario. But 
if you're laying out a scenario like this, there were so many solutions that cost literally zero dollars to be a decent person. Yes. You wasted a shit ton of money renting a boat and gas money and everything. There's so many solutions to just run the fuck away. You don't have to kill anybody. You you don't have to have this ginormous... Take a cab and leave the country. I don't care. Yeah, don't kill people. Take your embezzled money, go to Canada, Mm -hmm. take a flight from there to Brazil. Get you a, you know, little hut or something. Yeah. Live on the beach in a hut. I don't care what you do. (laughs) Yeah. What the hell is wrong with you? I'm going to kill James with Annie. I'm going to cut off his head, cut off his arm, frame him, cut off his shoulder, his skin on his shoulders, this tattoos, wrap him in carpet and stick some wood on top of him and douse the church in gasoline and catch it on fire. And then that's when I'll book it. That's when I'll finally be like, okay, I'll leave now. And that's what he did. I wonder if this was like a a toxic friendship kind of thing where it was like love-hate. Like, I love you half the time, I hate you the other half. Uh, Honestly, everybody said that they had an amazing relationship. That's so weird. I think he had this plan for a really long time because he had been, you know, for a handful of months working with James Nathaney, getting him into this apartment and everything. But he had already bought the book prior to that. So I think from day one, he... Was he looking for a victim? I think he was looking for a victim and James Matheny was the perfect victim. I think he had it out for him from the very beginning. Oh, That's my man. Opinion. Poor James. He didn't see it coming. If his family ever listens to this, I'm sure they'll disagree with him. But I'm like, I, I can't make any other connection. And like, he definitely had a mountain. James' so tr- family, if you're listening, so sorry for your loss. I know. Right? I was talking God. about Brother Terry's family. But yes, James Matheny's. Like, I feel for them. No, so Brother much. Terry's family... Give me info on his childhood. That's what Seriously, I need. I need, I need to happened? know where he went to seminary school. Yeah. He tried to light the house on fire twice and failed. And finally, I think it was the second time it finally caught fire. And Brother Terry flees and he goes to Memphis, Tennessee, which is not that far from Nashville. It's like, I think, four or five hours. It's really not that it's far. It's four hours, yeah. He goes to Memphis, Tennessee and pays cash for a two-night stay in a motel where he actually only stayed one night. During this one day in Memphis, he worked on changing his appearance and then he decided to attend a minor league baseball game. Why? What? Because that's what we do after we murder somebody. Hobbies. The The hobbies are not connecting for me. No, no. But he, I guess the guilt was getting to him, so... On June 17th, he couldn't take it anymore, and he threw his 38 caliber pistol into the Mississippi River. He made a call to his lawyer while he made his way back to Nashville. He said he knew he was in trouble and decided to just drive back and turn himself in. But of course, he tried to make it James Nathaney's fault to still try to get away with it. Yeah, <laughs> still maybe come off Yeah, he easier. was still trying to weasel his way out of it. So we do know um, what happens after he gets back to Nashville, you know. But I'm assuming his lawyer made him go to the hospital, but I couldn't mm-hmm. confirm that. That's that's my assumption. Okay. Now, Brother Terry was ar- wasn't arrested till June 18th of 1987. So it was pretty quick, you know. Like this all happened on like the night of the 15th, going into the 16th, and then he came back the 17th, and then he was arrested the 18th. So like the police were working very fast. Uh, in my That's opinion. interesting. I thought that was pretty quick for yeah. an 80s yeah. case. So yeah. uh, it does help that he confessed, but you know. <laughs> so the detectives said his demeanor was very matter of fact and he was cooperative, but showing no remorse and really no emotion at all. 
During the trial, they find they found that Brother Terry had control over all business matters of the church, but he was supposed to follow the bylaws of the organization. Unfortunately, he was not doing that. Brother Terry would withdraw more than he was supposed to for his salary, and he didn't deposit money for the church into appropriate accounts, and he'd been doing this for years. I'm not exactly sure how that like messed with their finances or, or if he was just trying to shuffle money around to make it look like he wasn't embezzling. I'm not really sure, but they just could they just said he was misappropriating funds and taking more out for his salary than he was supposed yeah. to. Now, Dr. Robert Begtrip, I don't know if that's how you say it, but that's how I'm saying it, a psychiatrist who evaluated Brother Terry testified at trial that he wasn't insane at the time of the murder, but he was suffering with major depression. He concluded that it started about four years ago when his mother died. So like I said earlier, his mother was his like only confidant is what people said. So I think losing his mother just sent him into a really big spiral and made him have such bad depression. But within a lot of Christian circles, you don't really talk about mental health stuff. You rely on God. How How many prayers, how many thoughts and prayers were given to that man? Well, and especially like he was the pastor. So he was the one helping other people. So he didn't reach out for help. Probably not. Yeah. Nobody knew he was suffering. Nobody knew he had depression. Nobody knew he was sad or contemplating suicide. Nobody knew any of this until after this case. He literally kept it all inside and just put on a mask every single day, every time. I got to know about his wife. I got to talk to her. I got to know. I couldn't find... I couldn't find anything. I just wonder about his her wife. reaction to all of this. Like when this all did she have an inkling about like the funds? Like if she had access to the bank accounts, did she be like, uh, what is this? I don't think she did. From what I have been able to put together, she had no idea. She was completely in the dark. She was just as shocked, if not more shocked, than everybody else when all of this. How earth-shattering would that be? That reality that your provider, your lover, your friend, your husband, your life mate, the father of your children, has done this. I I can't. I can't imagine. imagine. And for what? There's no reason. I know. What was the reason? I know. And we don't know. And it's so freaking frustrating. Insert Ah. Cardi B. What was the reason? Yeah. (laughs) Well, in 1988, uh, Brother Terry was tried for capital murder. Terry testified in detail about the murder plan, even saying that James was his, quote, sacrificial lamb. Uh, this is a whole new turn. I'm sorry? I know. I know. I like It was premeditated. A thousand percent was premeditated. Cheese and crust. So he was convicted in 1988 and sentenced to die in the electric chair. But his sentence was overturned on appeal when the Tennessee Supreme Court ruled that improper instructions were given to the jury during the sentencing phase. So this meant that Brother Terry was given a new hearing where he pleaded guilty so he could hopefully be spared the death penalty. Unfortunately for him, the second jury returned a recommendation of death. So he was once again put on death row. But in a shocking turn of events in 2003, Terry was in the middle of an appeal. And just before his attorneys were scheduled to argue for a new trial, Terry hung himself in a bathroom at the Riverbend Maximum Security Institution in Nashville. Damn. Damn. To this day, James Metheny's head and forearm have never been able to be recovered from Kennedy Wick. Damn. Yeah. Terry, man, why'd you got to do those things? That the hell's is wrong with you? Unfortunate case Who raised of you? the death of James McBain. James, rest in peace. Honestly, I 
I, I wouldn't be shocked if he had a completely normal childhood. Really would not be shocked because I think this being a pastor and being the one that like you have to have everything in order. You have to be the face. Yeah. You have to always show that you're strong. You're mm-hmm. you know, the toxic masculinity and not sharing your emotions, especially back in those days. And I, I think all of that put together made it to where he didn't feel like he could reach out in the depths of his depression. And it just kept getting worse and worse and worse until he thought that this was his way out. I mean, you go to such a dark place and then if you've got religion in it too, trying to give you like a form of hope, but things still keep getting worse, no matter how much religion you seek out, how hopeless is that? Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that, and obviously having to put on the face too of like, I'm a happy pastor and I here I'm going to pour out myself to you even though I have nothing. Yeah. Now, if you want to learn more about not just this case, but the history of Emmanuel uh, Church of Christ, like all of their whole organization and how it got started, it's absolutely fascinating. I think it's like eight to 10 episodes. Um, it is a podcast called Heaven Bent. I recommend all of their seasons, but the most recent season, I think it was like season three, is literally all about this case. And they go through how the church just got started and the founder is a woman and it goes through her history. And it's kind of wild to just watch or listen to all of these little pieces come together. And they actually interview, not really interview, but like they talk about some of the people that were there during this case and actually like knew Brother Terry and how they were just very taken aback at, at his mental health and and where he was at. And they had like literally no idea. And yeah, it's really interesting. So once again, I'll uh, link that in the show notes, but Heaven Bent is the podcast and it's season three. So you can listen to all of it. Love that name, Heaven Bent. Hell yeah. Yeah, it's very fascinating. The first season is all about revivals mm. and like okay. all of the, the kind of... Uh, Pentecostal, like speaking in tongues yeah. and healings. It's very, she grew up in that and she's not a Christian anymore. So it's her like talking oh, about that. And like, so what cool. she, it was, it's really, really interesting. I think you should listen to that's it. That's how my fiance is. He, he, he grew up in that, those same circles of Pentecostal stuff and he no longer subscribes to anything. He's just kind of like agnostic. Same. Esque. Same. Same. Yeah. I actually was listening to, if you guys listen to Morbid, I was listening to one of their episodes not too long ago, and they cover a case that we will cover here on this podcast. We're sluts and for Morbid. It's fine. It, we are. We are. We love you, Elena and Ash. But they're covering <laughs> this case, and it is, it's a religious case. And they're talking about, at one point, this per, the pastor, like, wanting to pray over the dead person and bring them back to life. And and Elena's um, like, what the? What? Elena's like, what the fuck? Like, that's physically impossible. And I'm listening to it and I'm like turning red because I'm embarrassed because I was like, oh shit, I used to believe that could happen. <laughs> Wait, you did? Yes. Are you kidding I me? That. Yes, I was very Pentecostal. Signs, wonders, miracles, speaking in tongues and raising people from the dead and like, oh, your arm can grow out. I, yeah, I wanted to believe in all of that stuff when I was mm-hmm. in the uh, Church of Christ. But like, I don't, I forgot how they explained it to me, but I was like, why don't we have burning bushes? Why don't we have mm-hmm. Lazarus's walking about? Like, why don't we have yeah. this? I don't under, did God stop working? Like yeah. none of that ever connected for me. And I, I forget now how they explained it because it literally didn't make sense at the time. Some people tried to tell me that like, oh, the reason that we don't have signs, wonders, and miracles anymore is because 
Jesus has already proven himself enough. Jesus and God, they've already proven themselves enough with the miracles. Like, like he was the final prophet kind of thing. He was, he was the final. Yeah. So like, if you can't believe with all of this, then like you're a hopeless case is basically. Then you're fucked all the way around. Like, <laughs> right. Cause I always doubted it. Cause I never saw any miracles. I never no, experienced yeah. any miracles. And so I always doubted it, but I also like outwardly was like, yes, I'm going to pray for your healing. And of course it didn't happen. Yeah. But yeah, <laughs> but yeah you, we'll cover that case because I was like, holy shit, this is interesting. But um, I have to read the book first because there's a lot in it. But also before we go, I want you guys to know that if you are struggling with your mental health, please do not be afraid to reach out. Do not be ashamed. Depression, anxiety, every type of mental health um, illness is real and valid and you are worth getting the help. So seek out a therapist or if you are contemplating suicide, please, please, please reach out to the help hotline. You can call or you can text 988. And if you go online to 988lifeline.org, they even have an online chat for you to access. So they have lots of options for you guys. So please also put all of that Yes, 24-7. And we'll put all of that in the show notes. You are worthy. Um, suicide has been something that's really impacted me in the last... I know I'm going to get like deep here for the last few minutes, but like it's really oh, impacted it's okay. me in the last couple years. Um, like, it, like it, yeah, the last like two years, um, I've had a family member basically contemplate suicide a few times. And that was really scary. Uh, we, I've had a friend, a mutual on TikTok. Um, it was a trans man. And they were, uh, his name was Milo and he was beautiful and he was wonderful. And he really, really fought for his trans community. Um, but it became too much for him and he took his life. And then we were driving home one day and uh, we were driving on the highway and we drove up onto an accident where somebody had literally stepped into the highway and ended their life. And it is just that all of that happened within like six days. It was probably I was really affected for a handful of days after that. That was a really hard thing to see. And it was confirmed the next day that it was what we had assumed. And so it's like, I don't know what it's like to get to that point to contemplate that. But I just want you to know that you're worthy and you are loved and this too shall pass. And I'm sure all of that's just fucking cliche and you've heard it all before, but please, please reach out. And that's not, that's not cliche. I mean, as someone that had had the pills in hand, mm. had had the blades to the wrist, oh, like gosh, that's not something that's cliche because some people really do need that type of affirmation because they've never gotten it before. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So yeah, uh, it's you're definitely. I, I'm happy that you're here. I'm happy. Whoever yes. is listening, I'm happy that you're here. Yes, yes, yes. We want you to be here. You're just you're you're good. However you are, you're you are good. Yeah. However you are. Yeah. You know, just come as you are. You can stay as you are. Yes. We'd love to have you. Yes. Yeah. Nine eight eight. You can text it, call it, please. And if you are on, like, I don't care if if you don't have money or anything to get like mental health resources. It's out there. Free things are out there for you. Yes. And if you are part of like state insurance, state insurance, I am pretty sure covers in every state across America, they cover mental health access. Okay. So, and I don't know what the income limits are. I know it's different for every state, but in this fucking economy, a lot of us 
qualify. So if that is an option for you, if you're on state insurance, just know that that is most likely covered. So reach out to your insurance and seek a therapist, seek out a therapist because it's life-changing. And if you seek one out and they're not a good fit, that's okay. Get a new one. It's okay to therapist hop. That happens. Yes, that's okay. I've been in therapy for two years. I finally found a therapist that I really love. Been with her two years. Excellent, excellent progress. I've never made such progress before. And I tell you, a majority of it is due to the person that's helping Mm -hmm. facilitate your healing. Yes. Don't be afraid to drop them if you need to. You know, they they won't be hurt. (laughs) Yeah, I fired my first therapist. She kept being like, she was like 20 minutes late to every every uh, session. And I was finally like, so annoyed. So I fired her and I, and I got a new one and I love my therapist now. So yeah, get a new one. We love you guys. Sorry about that case. That was kind of a heavy one, but also you're here for these kind of cases. So heavy. You knew what you signed up we for. We needed to hear it. <laughs> yeah, we needed, we needed it. Yes. Here's, uh, here's our palate cleanser. Palate cleanser. <laughs> I have <laughs> for the last hour, I have had this alfalfa sprout happening oh my God, on I my head <laughs> right here. Okay. Well, the fact that you haven't like <laughs> lost your composure over it is just jolting to me because you, I honestly, guys, I'm wearing, I'm wearing my glasses on my head and like she has her headphones my on and then she has her glasses like pushed up. So it has the bangs like literally alfalfa. Like you legit. Yeah. I your alfalfa and my cat ears. We are a team today. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Like th- uh, this is the dynamic duo. Yes. This is it. Yes. I love it. it. This is it. But yeah, that's today's also I learned how to mail banana bread today. Mail it? In the, I learned in how to the, mail banana bread. Mail, with the mailman? Specifically, yeah. Specifically banana bread. Because I'm looking to mail about five loaves to some people. Wow. Is there a special mailing process? You have to. <laughs> you have to. I'm intrigued you now. Have to fucking. You have to wrap the banana oh. bread in in uh, plastic wrap twice, and then you have to wrap it in foil. And you're supposed to put it in a medium box, not a large, not a small, in a medium box. Which okay. I don't know. I don't know the unit of measurement for medium for a box. So oh, right, that's very specific to not give a very specific number. <gasps> She's back. She finally Luna came. is always here when we record, and she freaking wasn't here she earlier. She ditched me, guys. She stayed in my daughter's room, which I know made her heart happy, but I was also felt very betrayed. Hi, sweetheart. Thank you for She's coming so in. Okay, I think my husband better because he knew he was going to make me happy. <laughs> okay, we are going off the rails now with this topic, but... No, it's fine. Yes. Oh, so you melt very medium box for your banana bread. That's what you learned today. Hey, yeah, that's what I learned. I know, isn't she so cute? She's just yeah, she's well, so good. Well, guys, that is today's case. And we will see you guys next week. I have no idea what we're covering next week, but we'll see you guys next week. That's fine. You don't need to know till we get there. Yeah. Also, heathens, if you're enjoying the show so far, please remember to subscribe on whatever platform you listen to us on and remember to bring your sacrifice to the blood ritual. Just kidding, a review will suffice. Deadly Faith is brought to you by Choircast Network. It's produced by Lacey Bean and Lola Robbins and audio engineered by Eric Cowell. Thanks for listening. 